Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News, Illinois. I'm Jerry Nowicki, and today I'm previewing Governor J.B. Pritzker's coming state budget address. On Wednesday, February 15th, Governor Pritzker is scheduled to give his fifth state budget address, the first of his second term. It comes at a time when Illinois' base tax revenues are booming amid strong nationwide economic performance. But it also comes at a time of high inflation and a lingering concern among economists that a recession could be on the horizon as pandemic-era stimulus funds dry up. So there are a lot of layers to peel back as we await the governor's spending plan for the year that will begin July 1 and run through June 30th, 2024. But before I share a few sound bites and my thoughts on what to watch for, I'm going to go through a bit of the budgeting basics. First, I'll explain the General Revenue Fund, or GRF. While there are hundreds of funds in the state treasury with statutory requirements for how that money is spent, the GRF is the main discretionary spending account for lawmakers. Because lawmakers have wide authority over those funds, the GRF receives the most scrutiny and publicity this time of year. And for the past two years, its revenue sources have been producing at record levels, topping $50 billion in fiscal year 2022, which ended on June 30th. As of January, it remained on pace to top that year's performance by about $259 million in the current fiscal year, according to the Legislative Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability. We'll have more on that agency later. So you might be wondering, what's the cause of that revenue growth? It's not entirely possible to name a single reason for the budget surplus, although federal stimulus has certainly helped. As much as many would like to cite the Federal American Rescue Plan Act's $8.1 billion in direct payments to Illinois as the main driver of that state's spending, the fact is only $1.5 billion in ARPA dollars went to the GRF over the past two years. Surpluses, meanwhile, are expected to exceed $10 billion cumulatively over those two years. While most of ARPA didn't go to the GRF, the trillions of dollars of nationwide federal stimulus since 2020 have undoubtedly driven strong state revenue growth nationwide. That's largely because of the added money that it either directly or indirectly put in the hands of lower or middle income people who promptly spent it. That drove up sales and income taxes, which are the main sources of general revenues. Here's how Comptroller Susana Mendoza characterized those trends in a recent interview with Capital News Illinois. When you talk about how our revenues better, it's, you know, in large part because the stimulus that went directly into people's homes was significant in terms of its help, not just in Illinois, but across the country. I mean, these numbers could be replicated in any other state where instead of collapsing the economies, you know, they, those states um, saw that their residents who received this direct stimulus did not save it in most instances, but they actually spent it and they were spending it in the marketplace, right? And uh, people who still had jobs were still getting stimulus, right? So they were getting their income plus, in many instances, some additional help from the federal government. And again, many people weren't spending, weren't saving it, they were spending it. So it kept the economies going, uh, not just in Illinois, but in other states. Now, other states were able to recover and actually weather the pandemic better than Illinois. They didn't have to take out huge loans from uh, the federal government or from the markets because they had significant rainy day funds when the pandemic hit. We had nothing like that. I mean, again, I had less than $60,000 of that when the pandemic hit, or very close to that. We'll go into it a bit more later. 
but the dramatic revenue growth of the past two years has allowed the state to up that rainy day fund balance to about $1.9 billion by the end of this fiscal year. And all of that COVID-19-related debt that Mendoza referenced has been repaid. Now, others I've spoke to for recent reporting on this topic noted that wage growth has been strong, inflation has driven up the price of goods, which has in turn increased sales tax outputs, and the unemployment rate remains low. Pritzker, meanwhile, has also noted that changes he signed into law, including the elimination of certain corporate tax breaks and a bill streamlining collection of online sales taxes, have boosted revenue performances as well. And over the course of the pandemic, the Illinois Department of Revenue has noted that consumers in general moved away from spending on services that are not taxed in Illinois to buying more goods which the state does tax. So what does that all mean in the context of a state budget? For starters, the budget surpluses have meant that lawmakers have had an uncommon level of budgeting breathing room when it comes to Illinois finances. For the most part, excess revenues have already gone to debt retirement, increased pension payments, and long-term savings, alongside a smattering of new one-time programmatic and infrastructure spending and $1.8 billion in tax reliefs over that span. It's partially led to six credit upgrades from the three major rating agencies, making borrowing cheaper for the state, and it's led to an anticipated balance of $1.9 billion in the state's rainy day fund by the end of the fiscal year. In the context of Illinois history, those type of spending allocations and multi-billion dollar surpluses can legitimately be called unprecedented. But the question nobody really knows the answer to at this time is just how long revenues will continue that level of performance and how quickly the effects of massive federal stimulus will wear off as the economy settles into a point of post-pandemic normalcy. So there's another part of the budgeting process that I think deserves a little explanation here, and that's revenue forecasting. The task of predicting how much money the state will have to spend over the 12-month budget period falls largely on two major forecasting agencies. That's the Governor's Office of Management and Budget, or GOMBI, and the aforementioned Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability, known in legislative circles as COGFA. They analyze base revenue performances and any changes proposed by the governor or lawmakers, and they generally provide optimistic, pessimistic, and middle-of-the-road scenarios for their estimates. Both have noted the possibility of a recession, the ongoing war in Ukraine, and any number of economic factors, take a global pandemic for example, can upend projections at any time. Over the next three months or so, lawmakers will begin budget negotiations based on Pritzker's proposals and the available revenue estimates, crafting a budget that almost certainly will look different than the one the governor proposes this week. So having touched on the process a bit, I'll share a bit more about what I'll be watching for as the governor makes his address. And that brings us back to revenue. While recent years have produced the aforementioned revenue booms, the governor and lawmakers didn't bank on them when they passed their initial state budgets. For the current year, for example, lawmakers anticipated only about $46.5 billion in revenue, an 8% decrease from the previous year. But the revenues continued to boom, which led to the surplus as noted by the governor in a recent media call from Switzerland, where he attended the World Economic Forum. So listeners, before I play a clip of that phone call, I will note that I was recording it while taking care of a sick one-year-old, so you might hear her during this clip getting bored with what the governor had to say. Well, we start with a focus on balancing the budget. I mean, obviously, if we think that we could run a surplus, uh, we'll show that in our budget proposal, you know, which will come in February. 
but uh, you know, balancing the budget in Illinois is is a relatively new thing, you know, over the last four years, uh, and so we're you know we're proud of the fact that we focused on that, and and you know sometimes the the focus on that, and the you know when you add up all of the uh, needs of the state uh, and look at the potential revenue coming in, you know, you you can project a surplus. We've been very conservative. I think you've seen this over uh, my entire term in terms of the revenue projections, um, because we don't ever want to get into a situation where you get near the end of the year, you know, and it turns out, you know, revenue isn't meeting your, your expenditure needs. And, uh, and so we've been uh, conservative about it. And as a result, um, you know, we've, we've balanced budgets and run surplus. So when you hear that from the governor, to me, it seems pretty likely that we're going to see decreased revenue projections from the $50 billion range of the past two years. The question will be just how much they'll decrease and whether it'll be to a point that affects the state's year-over-year expenditures. Which brings me to another point I'll be focusing on during the budget address, which is spending growth. It's important to watch, as Gombe has predicted in its recent five-year fiscal projections, that the state will be facing a $384 million deficit by fiscal year 2025. The explanation for that begins with the state's pension payment and its contribution to K-12 schools. Together, those expenditures are pushing $20 billion, or 40% of the state's entire operating budget in most years. Now, pensions themselves could be a subject of an entirely separate and in-depth podcast. But today I'll just go into the basics, which are that the state's pension payment is scheduled to grow as a function of law for at least the next 20 years as the state plays catch-up after decades of underfunding. Add that to the fact that the state's K-12 education funding formula calls for an added $350 million each year, and you have consistent annual upward pressures on the two largest areas of state spending. Outside of those spending areas, you have human services and healthcare expenses demanding another 36% of state funding, Then there's debt service, higher education, public safety, government services, and other areas receiving GRF funds. Now, most of those in and of themselves seem like logical areas for state spending growth, but the annual dance for lawmakers and the governor is identifying which of them will see modest increases or cuts as the annual spending pie is increasingly crowded out by the constant growth of education and pension spending. This year, that landscape may be even further complicated by some of the major policy initiatives that the governor has telegraphed as areas where he'd like to see increased state investment. Here's a snippet from his inaugural address last month. The research is clear. Quality childcare affords parents the opportunity to work or attend school and pursue greater economic security. And preschool improves academic success for our children, yields higher graduation rates, raises lifetime earnings potential, and saves taxpayers money. That's why I propose we go all in for our children and make preschool available to every family throughout the state. And let's not stop there. Let's provide more economic security for families by eliminating childcare deserts and expanding childcare options. It's also our obligation to make college more affordable by removing financial barriers. That's why we need to bring down the cost of higher education. Since I took office, we've increased scholarships by more than 50%. Now let's focus on making tuition free for every working class family in Illinois. 
So what I heard there is he'd like to increase expenditures in the area of childcare, preschool, and higher education. But since the governor hasn't gone into any heavy detail about that, we don't know how much that'll cost, and we don't know exactly what the programs will look like. So that's going to be something we watch as the other spending pressures mount and the governor wants to increase in those areas. Now, as I've noted, whatever the governor proposes will have to go through lawmakers in the General Assembly. So I'll be watching to see how members of the governor's own party respond to his requests. And that brings me back to Comptroller Susana Mendoza. While she has no formal role in approving a budget, she has proven to be an influential voice in the Capitol, especially on budgeting issues. And she's got a streak for fiscal responsibility. And some of the comments she made to me in a recent interview seem to foreshadow that she might have something to say if the governor gets too ambitious with his spending asks. What I would be opposed to is seeing new funding items, uh, unless you can really sell that this is an extreme necessity for the state at this time. Like, we want to stay away from funding new programs that are going to have to be funded year to year, right? So if it's a one-time expenditure that we don't have to worry about having to come up with the money for it next year, in years where we're doing really well fiscally, we first save, we uh, short pensions, which we've done on that uh, pretty well, um, and then if there's new dollars and there's an important use for them, as long as it's a one-time use and not a continuing appropriation, I think that that's, that's important to note that that's what they did in this budget, and that makes it much more responsible than had they started new line items. So what the comptroller was referencing at the end of her comment there was a recent supplemental spending plan passed in January that allocated money to repay the state's unemployment insurance trust fund debt and put another $850 million in the rainy day fund, among other one-time expenditures. Still, when the governor makes his pitch this week, he'll be making it to a chamber that's filled two-thirds of the way with members of his own party. So he could lose quite a bit of Democratic support and still hold the necessary majority to pass a budget. In recent years, however, he's proven adept at maintaining harmony with lawmakers in the party when it comes to budgeting, and that task has certainly been made easier by the state revenue booms. Now with that noted, while the governor won't necessarily need Republicans, there was a time when the two parties worked together on the budget, and that was Pritzker's first year. It remains to be seen whether we'll see that again, and House Republican lawmakers have already been making their demands for more inclusion in the budgeting process, and more time for public perusal of the spending documents. I'm going to play a clip from State Representative Noreen Hammond from Macomb, who became the House Republicans' lead budget negotiator amid changes in that party's leadership. The reforms which we will be advocating for in the coming weeks include adopting a revenue estimate and budget based off of that revenue estimate holding real, meaningful budget hearings which respect minority voices and provides for public input and transparency. Requiring balanced budgets, that's our goal. Restoring quarterly bipartisan briefings by the administration to the Bipartisan Legislative Budget Oversight Commission. These briefings were eliminated last spring after then-Representative Tom Demmer and I um, asked some tough questions about how the administration was spending the COVID relief dollars from the federal government. Respecting voters' decisions to overwhelmingly reject the graduated income tax hike. 
Give taxpayers real tax reform. Eliminate the franchise tax on employers, property tax relief for families and businesses, reduce the harmful impacts of the estate tax on our family farms. Finally, returning excess income tax collections to the taxpayers instead of sweeping it to be used to fund things like politicians' pay hikes. So before we go, I wanted to note one thing about the comment on the income tax refund fund. A large chunk of the anticipated surplus for the current fiscal year stems from a $1.4 billion transfer into the general revenue fund from the tax refund fund. But that's not a fund sweep, as the term has been used in Illinois government in the past. It's actually just a function of law. In fiscal year 2022, 15% of gross income tax receipts were deposited into the refund fund to ensure it had the funds available to pay out tax refunds. But as COGFA noted in its January report, the strength of the income tax revenues in fiscal year 2022, which ended June 30th, created a fund balance that was well above typical levels. And again, as a function of law, those income tax receipts that were diverted into the refund fund last year moved back to the general fund this year. It's not a sweep or a gimmick to move money around to paper over holes in the budget. It's simply just the way state finances work. So that's going to do it for this episode of Capital Cast. If you'd like to read more on the topic I've just discussed, I've written two long looks at state budgeting matters in recent days at CapitalNewsIllinois.com. They're entitled What to Know Ahead of Pritzker's Budget Proposal to Lawmakers and Amid Unprecedented Prolonged Revenue Boom, State Finds Budget Breathing Room. I'm Jerry Nowicki with Capital News Illinois, and I thank you for listening.